Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. What's up, UP? Tuesday, post-week six in the NFL. We're going to get to that. Oh, you bet. We're going to talk about what happened last night at Lambeau Field. Plus, it's draft day. One of my favorite days of the year. It is draft day in the XFL. Although quarterbacks have already been assigned to all eight teams. There are a few familiar names there. I tell you what, I might be the only one who's hyped about the XFL draft, but by the end of this show, you're going to be hyped about it too. We got some audio from Grant Patoni, Northern Michigan Audio, coming up, talking about their big weekend, the one they just had, and the one that's coming up this weekend when they go to Boston. And we're going to talk about LeBron in China, because I love doing that. But let's start with this. Our Pick'em results six weeks into the year, and I'm proud to report I'm still on top of the world. 19-11. and 11. I did pick New England on Thursday night to beat the Giants. No surprise there. Seattle did win. The Rams lost. The Chargers lost. And the Packers won, maybe controversially, last night. So I went 3-2 and two this week. That gives me 19 wins, 11 losses for the course of the season. Ryan Steig is 18 and 12, Jake Durant 17 and 13, Tyree Smith 16 and 14, and then John Michael Hoefling at 14 and 16. He's always the guy that goes with the wild pick. He goes with what's way out there. I give him credit for that though. I tell you what, before we get into football too much, this is a weird thing that I like to do. I don't know if it's like a guilty pleasure because I'm not totally ashamed of it. It's just kind of weird, I get it. But sometimes I feel so nostalgic. Like, I go all the way back and look at football scores from like 15 years ago this week just so I can reminisce about some of those players. I tell you what, week six of the 2004 NFL season, so 15 years ago this week, there were some pretty good quarterback battles. Let me read these to you. This was the slate of games 15 years ago this week. Atlanta beat the then San Diego Chargers 21-20. to Quarterback battle was Mike Vick and Drew Brees. Back when he was with the Chargers. You had Buffalo beating Miami 20-13. to Drew Bledsoe, a lot of quarterbacks named Drew back in the day, against Jay Fiedler. Now, Miami was once quarterbacked by Jay Fiedler. I'd probably take present-day Jay Fiedler over what they have right now. Washington, 13-10 to winners over Chicago. Mark Burnell and Jonathan Quinn. i got to be honest, I don't remember Jonathan Quinn. Like, doesn't even ring a bell. Cleveland, 34-17 winners over Cincinnati, Jeff Garcia and Carson Palmer. Carson Palmer was around back then. Green Bay also played Detroit on this week 15 years ago, and the Packers won at 38-10. Brett Favre outdueled Joey Harrington. Remember that, Lions fans. Stafford has given you so much consistency instead of the revolving door of Joey Harrington, Dan Orlovsky. I think Frank Reich even started a couple of games at one point for the Lions here in the last 20 years or so. The Jaguars beat the Chiefs 22-16. Trent Green against Byron Leftwich, who very well could have a head coaching job by next year. Trent Green and Byron Leftwich. New England beat Seattle 30-20. New England started that year 5-0, no surprise. Matt Hasselbeck loses to a guy named Tom Brady. Houston 20-10 winners over Tennessee. David Carr and Steve McNair. Although David Carr actually played better statistically. Steve McNair was like 19-41 in that game. Give me some Steve McNair throughout his career. If we're talking career-wise, Steve McNair certainly is the guy you won over uh, David Carr. You had Philadelphia beating Carolina 30-8. Donovan McNabb against Jake DeLome was a quarterback battle. The Jets 22-14 over the 49ers. Chad Pennington outdueled Tim Rattay. This week, 15 years ago. These are NFL scores and quarterback battles. I love this. Denver 31-3. They blew out Oakland. Jake Plummer and Kerry Collins. Do you remember Kerry Collins as a Raider? I remember more with the Colts, with the Giants, not with the Raiders. What a very memorable time for him. Pittsburgh 24-20. They beat Dallas. Ben Roethlisberger was a rookie. Outdueled Vinny Testaverde who at one point was a Dallas Cowboys quarterback. And then Sunday night, a shootout. Minnesota beat New Orleans 38-31. Dante Culpepper against Aaron Brooks. And by the way, Minnesota did try one halfback pass in that game. It was Moeldy Moore. It was incomplete, but that brought back memories. And then Monday night football, the then St. Louis Rams beat Tampa Bay 28-21. Mark Bulger against Brian Greasy was a quarterback matchup. That was the NFL Week 6 in 2004. 
I love doing that. I love going back a few years and seeing old box scores or results and just getting all these memories to flood back to me. I tell you what, though, when you look at some of those quarterback matchups, there may not have been as talented quarterbacks across the board as we have right now, but there were a lot more consistent quarterbacks than what we have right now. Doesn't it seem like that? Like you have some absolute home runs like Mahomes and Rodgers, Brady, you have all those guys, and you know, Drew Brees is on this list from 2004, and he's still playing. You've got some absolute home runs in today's game. Guys in the new era of football quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson. But back in the day, it seems like we had much fewer busts, does it not? You look at a lot of these guys that weren't all-stars. I mean, they're not perennial all-stars. They're not lighting the world on fire, but they were consistent franchise quarterbacks. Jake DeLome, I mean, he wasn't extremely memorable. He did get the Panthers to a Super Bowl, but so did Cam Newton. But he gave them consistency at the quarterback position for a long time. Kerry Collins, he was kind of a journeyman, but he gave you consistency. Jake Plummer, Matt Hasselback, Steve McNair. I mean, you have a lot of these guys that are above average. I'm not saying that they're average quarterbacks by any stretch, but they gave you consistency. They may not be the new era of Mahomes and Watson talented, but they were consistently good throughout their career. Like Mark Bulger or Brian Greasy, they're probably about on that line. Like they're not world beaters, but they gave you consistency. Like if you had your choice, if you were a Rams fan, would you go back and have what Mark Bulger gave you, or would you keep trying to make Jared Goff work? If you're the Cowboys, would you rather have Vinny Testaverde for about a decade or so, or keep working with Dak Prescott? Just my observation, but I tell you what, the football landscape, especially at the quarterback position, has changed a lot in the last 15 years. Let's get into some present-day sports, however. Let's talk about what happened last night on Monday Night Football, because I know that has been on the mind of 95% of my listeners' brains all day. If you watch Monday Night Football last night, there were a couple of questionable calls that went against Trey Flowers of the Lions. A couple of calls for hands to the face, a penalty that he had never committed before in his career. He committed it twice, allegedly, down the stretch, which set up the Packers' game-winning field goal as time expired to win 23-22. to I tell you what, the calls were bad. The calls were absolutely bad last night. That set up the Packers' game-winning kick. At the same point, the Lions shouldn't have been in that position. This is what I'll say in the Packers' defense. The Lions shouldn't have been in that position. You have a 13-0 lead, and then you go, what is it, nine drives to end the game and get 12 points, all from field goals? Four scoring drives out of your last nine possessions, and you get field goals all the time. You can't do that. You can't do that. As bad as the calls were toward the end of the game, the Lions' offense stalled every time they got the football even remotely close to the end zone after the first quarter. The Lions dominated the opening quarter. They should have been rolling after that point. you got to credit the Packers defensively and the job they were able to do in adjusting. Mike Pettin had a good game plan. Each team was in a position to win. The Packers can't help what the refs call, but they did what they needed to down the stretch, albeit probably shouldn't have been in that position both because the Lions should have exploded after that early first quarter lead and because of the officiating. The officiating was bad. The Lions, what they did, probably should have won. What they did, scoring 12 points in their last nine possessions, should have been enough to win, probably. We don't know. If the refs don't make that call, maybe Aaron Rodgers has a Hail Mary or something left in him anyway. I don't know. At the same point, bad calls are going to be a part of football for a long time. Because here's the reality of it. Nobody is going to stop watching NFL football because of what happened last night. No Lions fan, no Packers fan, is going to boycott the NFL until they get the officiating, at least at a presentable level. Until they start doing at least an adequate job and quit ruining games like they did last night. Nobody's going to stop watching. Packer fans, Lions fans will turn on the TV next week and hope the same thing just doesn't happen to their team. We know it's going to happen at least once a week 
there's going to be one of these bad, controversial calls. We know what's going to happen. We just hope it doesn't happen to our team. We're still going to turn on the TV. We're still going to give the NFL the ratings they want. Unless Tom Brady issues another tweet like he did a couple of weeks ago. You remember that? That's when things started changing. Tom Brady said he couldn't watch that Thursday night game anymore because of all the flags being thrown. That's when the flags started going down. That's when the NFL had an official conference with their officials telling them to let things go. I tell you what, earlier this morning on Golik and Wingo, the point that they made was that you're not there to call every single infraction. As an official, that's not your job, to get every single infraction called. Because then flags will be flying, the field will be littered with yellow, and we won't get out of there for hours. We don't want to turn this into a five-hour flag fest. Your job as an official may not be to call every little infraction, but it's to make sure that no team gets any kind of unfair advantage. You're a game manager as an official. You're not out there to be football police. You're not calling every infraction, but you're there to make sure that no team has an unfair advantage over the other. And the officials in last night's Packer-Lions game did not do that. They did not do that. No one wants to see an official decide a game. Not even the team that it benefits. I don't think Packer fans wanted to win that way. They're happy they won, and they're happy they're off to a 5-1 and one start. But nobody wants to see a game decided by the Zebras. And I get it, it's a tough job. It's a thankless job. I don't mean to rag on officials but at some point, the NFL's got to step in and do something. Whether that means introducing the sky cam, so be it. So be it. But we need to hold officials accountable, and we need to do our best while we have the technology to make sure that we get as much correct as possible. Because there's too much human error in the game right now. I get it. It's a human element to it. And traditionalists won't like changing the game even if it is for the better, even if we have the technology to do so. But at some point, you got to do it. You got to do it, don't you? As long as we have the technology, I'm totally in favor of putting it to use. Packers win last night 23-22. I'll just say this, though. The refs are still unbeaten. Kind of reminds you of the replacement ref era. I'm not taking anything away from the Packers and what they did. They did what they needed to, albeit they probably shouldn't have been in that situation to kick the game-winning field goals, time expired. But they did what they needed to, and they took care of business on their own end. Let's take a timeout. When we come back, let's talk a little XFL. Plus, we got baseball to break down. Next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along this Tuesday afternoon. I tell you what, I may feel like the only one that's hyped for the XFL draft, which got going this morning. But by the end of the show, I want you all to be hyped right up there with me. What I can't figure out is this quarterback allocation that they had before the skill position draft started. They allocated these quarterbacks to the eight different franchises. I just don't know how they landed each quarterback with each team. Like, let's go through them. Dallas, the Renegades, got Landry Jones, former Oklahoma quarterback. He reunites with his college head coach, Bob Stoops, down in Dallas. But then Houston gets Philip Walker. Remember like three years ago, four years maybe it was, I think it was 2015, so four years ago, when Temple was ranked at one point, game day actually went there when they played Notre Dame, Philip Walker had that team trending in the right direction, well now he's a new quarterback of the Houston Roughnecks, spent a little bit of time in Indianapolis as a backup for Andrew Luck, and now he finds his way to Houston. Or how about this, Los Angeles gets Luis Perez, a former professional bowler, he played Division II football at Texas A&M Commerce and later played in the Alliance of American Football. A professional bowler going to L.A. to quarterback the Wildcats. The New York Guardians are getting Matt McGloin. Remember him from Penn State? He kind of flamed out after three seasons in the NFL with Oakland. He was a backup primarily to Derek Carr. St. Louis, the Battlehawks, got Jordan Tiamu, who used to play at Ole Miss. Spent two seasons at Ole Miss quarterbacking them. Went to the NFL undrafted. Now he's quickly out of it. 
Brandon Silvers allocated to Seattle. He'll be quarterback in the Dragons. He's another guy from the AEF. He was briefly signed by the New York Jets and couldn't beat out Sam Darnold. So now he's on his way to Seattle. And then Aaron Murray, who was a really good quarterback when he was at Georgia, didn't pan out in the NFL. He spent four seasons as an NFL backup. Now he's a franchise quarterback of the Tampa Bay Vipers. I kind of like the quarterback allocution system. I kind of don't. I have mixed feelings about it. What I can't figure out is how they did it. Like how they decide that Landry Jones should get his old college head coach back. And they were very successful, by the way, when they were in Oklahoma together. But Los Angeles gets a former bowler as their franchise quarterback. Like, that's what I don't understand is how this worked out some way. Like, does the league like Dallas enough to give them that kind of an advantage, but then stick LA with a pro bowler who played Division II football? I think he's the only Division II quarterback on this list. Are there conspiracies in the XFL? I don't know. But the draft got going earlier today, and there's some pretty recognizable names that are flying off the board. When they got to the skill positions and beyond the quarterbacks, what have you, the first overall pick belonged to D.C., and it was Richard Davis, a former wide receiver at James Madison. Connor Cook, Spartan fans remember him, he went second overall to Houston. So how about that? Houston got their quarterback in the allocation round they decided they weren't satisfied with philip walker so they decided to go with connor cook former spartan quarterback and spent a few years with oakland and another guy who was a backup to car i'm just looking through this list and there are a lot of recognizable names here christine michael former seattle seahawks running back he's now with the st louis battle hawks let's see who else is on here uh tommy lee lewis with the dallas renegades now Let's see. Sammy Coates. Remember him at Auburn? He was pretty good. Other giving Connor Cook a weapon over in Houston. Connor Cook gets to throw to Sammy Coates now. Cameron Artis Payne, who I'll be honest with you, I thought was still with the Carolina Panthers. He got drafted by Dallas earlier today. He'll be running the football down there with Landry Jones. Jason Morrow. Remember him? Jason Morrow, the tight end, is now with the Seattle Dragons. Tim Cook is on this list. I'll be honest, I thought that was a CEO of Apple. Tim Cook. Apparently he was a running back at Oregon. Now he's a running back for the New York Guardians. Quentin Flowers is on here. Demarcus Ayers. I'm looking at this list right now, and I'm just seeing these names that I recognize continue to pop off. I'm excited for the XFL. I tell you what, I don't care what anybody says. I'm excited for the XFL. I'm here for it. Draft day, it gives you an excuse to sit around, watch TV, and do as little work as possible. (laughs) You get to watch the draft here. I tell you what, I'm here for it. Let's talk a little baseball, though, because the Washington Nationals are one game away from moving on to their first ever World Series. They thumped St. Louis last night, 8-1 to the final score. Steven Strasburg pitches a beauty, and the Nationals are one game away to advancing to the World Series. Think about where this team was a few months ago. At one point this year, they were 19-31. and 31. People were calling for Davey Martinez's head. They were saying that he's not a manager who can lead them to the World Series. They were talking about seriously cleaning house. Do you remember at one point, Nationals fans were clamoring for the front office, not only to fire Davey Martinez as manager, but to trade Anthony Rendon. Remember that? They were thinking about trading a legit superstar. A guy who's maybe the best 20-year-old to ever play the game. And now look at him. One win away from a World Series. They could be popping the champagne tonight. 8.05 is the first pitch from Nationals Park. You can hear it here on ESPN-UP. Washington with a chance to close out St. Louis this evening as they shoot for an NLCS sweep. Patrick Corbin is on the bump. He goes up against Dakota Hudson. Talk about another guy that Nationals fans were hoping they would trade at trade deadline time. They were hoping to get something back for Patrick Corbin. And Patrick Corbin very well could have made his way to New York and been a Yankee if that happened. And think how differently things would look right now if they did. Not only on the AL side, on the NL side as well. Dakota Hudson opposes for St. Louis. During the regular season, Hudson 16-7, 335 ERA. Corbin 14-7, 325 ERA. On paper, it's tough to tell. But man, Patrick Corbin brings it in big games. And that's something that doesn't show up on paper. I tell you what, I like the Nationals to sweep tonight. I really do. 
Nationals could be popping the champagne tonight, do it in front of their home crowd, and move on to their first ever World Series. Meanwhile, the afternoon game, which, by the way, we're going to join in progress here once I sign off, the Yankees and Astros, a pivotal game three. They got started just a little bit ago. Garrett Cole against Luis Severino. Now, Garrett Cole is electric, especially in the postseason. Seems to be when he's at his best. I'm not checking in on that game. I got a job to do. I'm not watching it. But I like the Astros in this one. I like the Astros in this one. Garrett Cole in the playoffs and Luis Severino in the playoffs are polar opposites. I still believe if you've got good starting pitching, you're going to be in every playoff game. That's what I still believe will be the Yankees' downfall. Good pitching will give you a shot in every game. That's why I still believe that in this era of home run hitting, of mashing, of slugging, that there is still a place for a good starting pitcher. As fun as it is to see your team launch the ball 450 feet three times a night, starting pitching is still what's going to win you championships in Major League Baseball. Mike Trout set the new bar for contracts given out in Major League Baseball this offseason. It had been set twice during that offseason. Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, both did it, and then Trout overpassed them. They overtook one another, and all three of them are on the outside looking in, not just of the championship series round, but of the playoffs. None of those teams made the playoffs, the Angels, Philadelphia, or San Diego. If the Astros come back and win this series, and ultimately the World Series like I do believe they're going to, it should doesn't always work out that way, but it should set a new trend, start a new model for how to build a contending team, and that's not putting all your eggs in one basket if that basket is an offensive player. If I'm setting a new curve, giving out the biggest contract in Major League Baseball history, I'm doing it for a pitcher. I'm doing it for a pitcher. Now then you say, yeah, but what if he gets hurt? What if you invest all that money into him and then he needs Tommy John surgery. That's a chance I'm willing to take right now. Maybe it's just being a Twins fan. And they haven't won a title since 1991. And I want to see them do it. But starting pitching is going to take you far enough. That you're going to be in every game down the stretch. You're going to have a better run. Than you would by investing with one slugger. This isn't basketball. This isn't basketball where you can just pay one guy, whatever he wants, and he'll come change the entire face of your franchise. Kawhi Leonard being a prime example. You saw what happened when he came to Toronto. Now he's gone. No one's thinking very much about the defending champions. This isn't basketball. This isn't the NBA. It doesn't work like that. That being said, if I am going to give a record-breaking contract, I'm giving it to a pitcher. I'm giving it to a pitcher. I'll take the risk. If he's got to get Tommy John... So be it. I'll take the risk. Starting pitching is going to get you farther than high-octane offense. Let's take a timeout. When we come back, I've got some Northern Michigan audio to play for you. Talk a little hockey. They continue to stay busy and give us content. That's all coming up next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Here's your Sports Center update. The NAHL, Tier 2 Junior Hockey, their Board of Governors have approved a membership application from an expansion franchise in Wichita Falls, Texas. They are set to begin play in time for the 2020-2021 season. Rob Gronkowski dispels rumors that he may end his retirement and rejoin the Patriots this season. New England re-signed tight end Ben Watson yesterday. And finally, the Los Angeles Kings are planning to cover up Taylor Swift's banner at the Staples Center commemorating the singer's record 16 sellouts at the venue. The banner was given to Swift by Kobe Bryant as a gift. The Clippers and the L.A. Sparks already cover up the banner for their home games. The Lakers have no plans to cover the banner at this time. 
That is your Sports Center update. Once again, glad to have you along this Tuesday afternoon. And with it being Tuesday afternoon, that means there was a press conference on the campus of Northern Michigan earlier today. I've got hockey and football audio for you. Let's go to the ice. Grant Petoni was there. We got to catch up with him about his thoughts on the weekend. Now that he's had a little bit of time to digest it and regroup, come back and get a few days of practice under his belt. What was the story of the weekend for Coach? If you would have told me going into the weekend we were getting up 21 shots on Friday and 15 on Saturday, or 15 on Saturday, I would have taken it the whole day, every day. Um, I thought we did a very good job breaking pucks out, and you know when you do those things, you don't have to defend. And um, times we did have to defend, I thought we did a nice job cleaning the sheet in front of our goalies and um, you know getting in some shooting lanes. So that that part of the game is good. Um, you know that's effort, and as a coach, you love seeing that. You know, defense is just hard work, and and I thought we we did a good job on that. Um, mentally, we probably were maybe a little overexcited on Friday, <clears throat> and that you know you saw the result of a few penalties that are uncharacteristic of us, and uh, a couple of misassignments. But those things are correctable. So um, all in all, pleased with with how we played on the weekend. We got some goaltender questions answered this weekend. Did we get enough for coach to name a starter going forward? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I didn't know on Saturday if John was going to play. Um, you know, I um, they're going to rotate. You know, I don't know if it's a pure rotation. I don't know if, um, you know, if, if we ride somebody for two in a row and somebody else plays three in a row. And, um, you know, I'm probably leaning more towards, you know, that than I am, um, you know, continuing to rotate them. But, um, you just you never know going into the weekend how it's going to be and how they're going to play and um, you know it's kind of like everybody else like we you kind of like some things and you want some things to be better and you know after this weekend it might there might be guys that you wanted to play better that play much better and um, there might be some guys that um, you know had have played great and maybe they just have an off week so you just don't know um, you know hopefully they both play again and they both play great. Special teams were big for Northern this weekend. Were they playing about as expected? I didn't expect to give up two goals shorthanded that quick on Friday. I can promise you that. Uh, you know, I I think we're you know consciously spending more time on that this year um, because it is so hard to score five on five that you know if you can have a real good penalty kill and you can score timely goals in the power play, you know that might result in one or two more wins and. Um, to be honest, maybe that was the difference in the game on Saturday. We scored a power play goal, and um, you know, and we shut them out on our PK. So, you know, that there it, it's something that we've spent a lot of time working on, which which we always do, but even more so this year. We had the chance to ask Coach who personnel wise has been impressive offensively early on. You know, a couple guys that we count on scoring just haven't yet. So, um, you know, hopefully uh, Darian and, and Joel can um, can get that that round number into a a straight or crooked one this weekend and because um, it's tough I mean as an athlete you you know the longer you go without scoring um, the the more you feel it and I don't want them to feel that way I, I think that they're playing well and um, you know I don't want them to correlate how they're playing with the offensive success but um, that's just how it goes for offensive players and um, you know you you just hope that you know they can kind of you know get on the score sheet one way or another and you know, Joe was in the, you know, happened to be in the penalty box on a more of the power play we scored, and um, you know, Darian had a couple looks that got blocked. So, um, you know, hopefully they can get going a little bit and feel, you know, good about how they're playing because they should feel good because they're playing well. Vincent DeMay was honored by the WCHA yesterday as forward of the week. Was this something that's been a long time coming out of Vinny? A hundred percent. You know, I think you saw what Vinny is at the end of the year last year. Um, he had a weird year. He was playing well, and then just became disjointed with injuries and illness and um, and then he when he did finally come back we were in the middle of a six or eight or ten whatever the number in a row was um, and when you're winning like that you're gonna kind of keep playing the guys that are playing so he ended up being kind of stuck on the fourth line or maybe the extra forward um, but you saw it in practice you know and, and then the back half you know last five six games when it mattered the most playoffs and down the stretch I think he ended on five goals in his last six games or something and then and, and I think I've mentioned this it it wasn't like he was just shoveling them in I mean he was scoring from 15 20 25 feet and um, guys who can score from 25 feet they're in a lot of them college hockey so 
um, you know, I, I think he's going to have, I think this is a start of, of what he's going to be here. So now Northern turns their attention to Boston U, the beginning of a long road trip. Northern won't be home again until the first weekend of November. So BU, historic program, tough team. Coach gave us his thoughts on it. Well, I know the Russian Red Army is d- defunct, but it seems like they're alive and well in BU right now. Um, they are fast and they are skilled. Um, they have depth. Um, you know, they're, they are what, when you think of BU, Michigan, uh, whoever historically, you know, talented players that are fast, um, you know, that's, that's who they are. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, there's a certain areas that we're going to have to be really good in. Um, I think there's some areas that um, maybe we can have a little bit of success, you know, but the recipe is not going to change for us. You know, we um, we got to make sure that, you know, we get out of our end with speed. we got to make sure that we continue to get more pucks on the net. And, you know, you saw that this weekend where, um, you know, we're, we averaged 28 over the weekend. It might be nice to average 30. Um, but, you know, if we can continue to outshoot people and, um, you know, keep kind of limiting some of those major league chances, um, we, sh- we should be in a position to, to have a chance to win the game. Um, you know, the one thing we, we do have to do, we have to execute a little bit better. We had, you know, three two-on-ones that we didn't even get a shot, um, you know, got caught on one because of an errant pass, um, just missed a back door on one where, uh, I can't tell what happened. I thought, you know, it was looked like it was going to be close and um, just missed it. And then we had a uh, three-on-one where we missed the net. So, um, you know, you have to capitalize on those. And, and when you play teams that um, have electric offensive ability, you know, you, you have to make sure you if you have the lead, you extend it to as many as you can because you, you never know what's going to happen in a game. And, you know, these guys more than anybody, um, you know, you have to keep scoring and you have to keep, pressuring and playing offense and you know trying to bottle them up as much as you can because um guys that have that ability and those kind of sticks they're really never out of a game they have a bit of a smaller ice sheet out there in boston does it mean that northern's gonna have to be more physical this weekend coach address that as well i think inherently it does you know there's just you're tighter to people and there's a little more physicality um i thought when we played you know, we hadn't practiced at all on a small sheet before um, going down to play the U.S. team. I thought we looked fast. Um, I thought we were physical. You know, and, and their coach's comment after the game was, boy, you guys play hard. Um, we're going to Lakeview for the next two days to, you know, get the goalies, the angles adjusted, you know, rush defense, breakouts, power play, penalty kill, those type of things. So we should be um, in a position that, you know, you feel comfortable by the time the game starts. It's a little bit bigger. You know, it's 90, so it's not 85. Um, so there'll be a little bit more space than we've had, you know, today and tomorrow. Um, obviously, less space than we're used to, but um, you know, it, it doesn't really change the game that much. Um, the only thing that you really do need to be careful of is, you know, any time that you create a turnover, you got to get it to the net because it gets right now. There's a chance. Um, conversely, you have to take care of the puck because if you do turn it over, there's less space for you to be able to get back and, and fix that mistake. Northern Michigan hockey head coach Grant Patoni from his presser earlier this afternoon. We also had a chance to talk with Northern football head coach Kyle Nystrom, his team coming off a loss to arch-rival Tech over the weekend. What were his biggest takeaways from that matchup? The, the game where we lost our edge was in the passing game on both sides of the ball. We, we couldn't hand, handle uh, Jacob and Ben. They're two senior receivers when we needed to handle them. And we knew we'd need to handle them. There was no shock in that. And uh, that would be the difference in the game, you know, limiting their ability to make big plays. We didn't do that with with, uh, Wenzelick or Hartley when we needed to, or or Willart for that. So that was the difference on that side. And then we weren't good in the passing game when we needed to be good in the passing game. Our rhythm was off. Our... Throws were where we needed them to be. Uh, protection was good, and we'd run out of the pocket, you know. So it, it uh, that was the difference in the game. I think the run game for both both teams. You know, I felt pretty good about defending the run game against them, and then and then getting the takeaways. And then I thought Tyshawn really did a nice job. I mean, true freshman out there, a little bit nicked still, but just 
almost willed us to a win. I mean, he, 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 did, a, he did a fantastic job running the ball. But um, that was the difference in the game, just the, the passing game for both the offense and the defense. So another toughie this weekend. What is Coach preparing for in this matchup? It's Grand Valley. I expect the same thing I've always expected from them. They're going through a little transition at quarterback, but they still it's still Grand Valley. They still have elite players. They're going through transition in the running back. I think they're nicked up, but they'll always have a good running back. They've played four of them so far this year, but they're all good backs. So, um, you know, I, I know we'll see Katapka. I'm expecting to see him. He's sort of the returning older player that has been playing. And then um, I think he's had a little bit of medical issues at times during the season, so he's back and forth a little bit. And then uh, they'll play Kate Peterson, young man from Glen Lake that we recruited a couple years ago. And so those two are in and out. And um, they they kind of have to they manage the offense about what those guys can produce with. So um, they're they're still good. They you know I they're Austin Parody still there as a as a big play wide out, and they've got people around them, and they've always got great personnel there. So offensively, they'll 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 keep us busy. Uh, we're going to have to do a good job with the run game and not give up the, the big plays again. You know, the, the, the run game in our league, everybody's really good at creating extra gaps. So when people do that, you, you got to play a little thin in the back end, and you, you, you get yourself into one-on-one matchups, no matter if you want to play zone or you want to play man. And um, if you don't do that, then they just hand the ball off and they find the extra gap where you don't have a hat. So you pick your poison, <laughs> right? Um, and if you can get people into run sit, well, then you can do some some different things, but you got to get them into run sit. And most people are taking those kind of shots at you, those big play shots off of play action, and, and uh, vertical routes when they got you in run sit. So you go, you guess a little bit when you got to play soft. And if you guess wrong and they run the ball, or if you are in, in, a, in, a, in a you know gap, fundamentally sound scheme, and they hit you with with play action with a deep ball, you got to win your one on one. And we we didn't do that with those guys. And it's credit to them; they're very good. They're very good. You know, Jacob's a six-year player. I think Ben's probably at least a four-year player, maybe a five, fifth-year player. And I got Eddie out there and Tyshawn, <laughs> Tavion running around on him, you know, and and they 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 do a good job. But it's going to be fun when 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 those guys are a little bit older because they'll be that much better. And so I was reading something last night. It said no matter the situation, whether it's good or it's bad. One thing is for sure, it's going to change. And so I hang my head on that, and I keep looking forward, forward to the future. But we gotta, we got to nail some, down, some things down with our passing game, and the kids get frustrated, and I understand that. And so, But if one thing's not right, somebody else starts to adjust, and now you got two to three things not right, and you can't have it that way. Injuries have plagued Northern throughout the year. Are they starting to get some guys back? Coach, address the injury situation. I'm a little concerned. <laughs> and so we'll play with who's healthy and we'll, and we'll get them ready to play. Northern's forced nine turnovers in the last two games combined but have lost both games. What's going on in the defensive end? Until you capitalize on those, those takeaways, you, you don't get what you want. And so I know, I, know our, I know what our problems are. I just, that's for me and the staff. I don't. I don't talk about it. And let's not forget the big picture of a college football coaches develop young men to being the best they can be academically, socially, and athletically. And that, that's what I focus on doing. And um, they all go through tough situations, and you need to help them through them, no matter what, what player or position you're talking about. They're all like that. And, and that's, that's, that's the big picture job that we have to do. And, you know, we've got, it's fun when I watch, I watch our players go up for a pregame meal. The seniors go up and there's like eight. And then the juniors go up and there's like 10. And the sophomores go up and there's like 40. 
And so, you know, the majority of our team is in their first three years of college, true freshmen, redshirt freshmen, sophomores. And so the growing up process and the development process is really heavy right now on the coaches because that's where there's so many numbers in our program. And that's fine. I, that's, that's, that's fine. It's just different than when you're, you're balanced in your seniors, juniors, sophomores, freshmen. You know what I mean? You, you get more balance in there. Your numbers of development aren't as heavy as they are for us right now. But that's all going to pay off. Like I said, no matter what the situation is, for sure it will change. It's fun. We have a lot of fun with our players. The games are frustrating that we don't win. But there is things to build on. There is things to feel good about it. And, you, and you've got to fix the things that are letting you down and keep progressing with the things that are, are good. And, and then you've got you to get your game to come together. And it's different parts of the big picture that all have to come together. So the whole thing goes the right way. Very happy with our with our special teams play, except you know one snap that hit Jack in the face. That's not a fake. If anybody was wondering, it was not a, a fake punt. It was just an errant snap that hit him in the jaw, and there's not nothing else he could react to back there in the shield. And but besides that, kickoff coverage very well. Kickoff return. The ball was hard to deal with the other night. It was windy and all over the place, and. It's a little erratic. Punt, punt team, besides the snap, was very good. And um, our punt return was, was fine, but the ball's all over the place. It was 16-mile-an-hour wind, so when you're going into it, it's crazy. When, you're, when you got it, you know, the balls are carrying a little bit farther than you normally get them. So, but I'm happy with that. And, and special teams is a big indicator of how well you're coached and, and what your skill set looks like. And so the rest of it, our special teams right now is ahead of some of the other phases of our football team. And that's odd. And so it's got to catch up. The, the, other, the other two phases have to catch up to that. Northern Michigan head football coach Kyle Nystrom from today's Northern Presser. I tell you what, we went a little long with that segment. Let's take our last break now. Coming up, my long-awaited thoughts on LeBron's comments regarding the NBA and China. Next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any part of our show today, get caught up on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple iStore or Google Play or look up ESPNUP.com. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along as always. We'll get you out to Yankee Stadium once we sign off here in a couple of minutes. But first I want to go into LeBron James and China. Last week, if you remember, I talked about it on this show, how several NBA superstars and coaches who have taken stands for social justice decided to stay mum on the subject of China and the human rights violations going on there to protect business interests. The NBA has been on defense the last couple of weeks, actually I should say a week and a half ago, because Daryl Morey, general manager of the Houston Rockets, sent out a tweet criticizing China, and the government's handling of the Hong Kong protests. Because of that, China went into a fracas, and they threatened to cut off all ties with the NBA. It would cost the NBA millions of dollars. And because of that, the same athletes and the same coaches who protest social causes here in America are staying mum on what's going on in China. Because they don't want money coming out of their wallets. I criticized a few of them last week. Steph Curry, Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr, just to name a few. If you remember last week in the show, it was Thursday when we talked about this, that I hoped LeBron James would sincerely make a statement condemning China's actions. Well, last night we finally got LeBron to speak on the issue, to speak on what's going on in China, and give his take on it. Take a listen. I don't believe, I don't want to get into a, a, word, a, a word or sentence uh, feud with Daryl, but Daryl uh, Morey, but I believe he wasn't educated on, on, on the situation at hand, and he spoke. The, uh, the, so many people uh, could have been harmed, um, not only financially, but physically, emotionally, spiritually. Um, so just be careful what we, what we tweet and we say and what we do, even though, yes, we do have freedom of speech, but there can be 
a lot of negative that comes with that too. Now, wait a minute. Most NBA reps have used the cop-out, I'm not well enough informed as to what's going on in China to publicly comment on it. LeBron's not saying that. He's saying Daryl Morey, the guy who started this with a seven-word tweet, is not informed about what's going on in China. Can you believe that? Anybody who was alive during the Tiananmen Square incident knows what's going on in China. People that were not yet born know what's going on in China. You heard LeBron say people could have been physically put in danger. See, here's the thing. LeBron was in China at the time that Maury sent that tweet just a week and a half ago. LeBron was there with the Lakers playing preseason games. When LeBron says that people could have been harmed, not just physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, he is directing anger at Daryl Morey rather than copping out. He's angry at Morey for that tweet that could have put LeBron in danger. It could have put him in physical danger while he was in China. If LeBron is mad about that, fine. That's totally justified. Fine. I can see it. Daryl Morey hit send on a tweet that angered a government that enslaves its own people. But that's the whole point. That's the whole point of this. You have a government over there that is a tyranny. They enslave their own people for exercising freedom of speech or religion, things we take for granted every day here in America. That's the whole point of Maury's tweet. LeBron acknowledges that he could have been in physical danger while in China at the time that the government was upset with the NBA. That's what everybody's missing here. I don't see how the NBA is missing that point. And I don't think they are. They know the point. They're just choosing to look the other way. Because it doesn't benefit them financially to address the issue. LeBron had a few more thoughts regarding the freedom of speech and Maury's ability to exercise it. I think when we all sit back and learn from the situation that happened, uh, understand that what you could tweet or could say, we all talk about this freedom of speech. Yes, we all do have freedom of speech, but at times there are ramifications for the negative that can happen when you're not thinking about others and only, you're only thinking about yourself. So, Let's back up a few years. Was LeBron not told to shut up and dribble by Laura Ingram. And was there not almost universal backlash to that comment? That while you may not agree with an athlete's point of view, they have two senators and a congressman just like you and I do, and they're entitled to that point of view. Now LeBron is not just doing exactly what Laura Ingram said shutting up and dribbling. He's telling Daryl Morey to do the same thing. Shut up and be an executive. Now, I'm not criticizing LeBron's character, per se. LeBron has done great things in this country. His I Promise School in Akron, he has done great things for social justice here. And do I think that he does that because he believes in that? I do. I do. I think he does care about people. I just think he's a coward. Because he will only stand up for those less fortunate than him, those who are oppressed, when it benefits him to do so. When he won't stand anything to lose financially for doing it. Both Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr, head coaches of the San Antonio Spurs and the Golden State Warriors respectively, were denounced by President Trump last week for failing to stand up to China. They have since both responded. Steve Kerr saying that Trump will move on to something else. It's one thing one day. Tomorrow there will be another problem. There will be somebody out there that he's ripping. Popovich went on to call the president impotent and cowardly. This is another example of why those two are frauds as well. They'll attack their own government. They won't stand up to a foreign one. 
committing atrocities and human rights violations every day. If you don't like the president, that's fine. That's fine. But if you're upset by the president's policies that you believe are hurting people, then why are you not upset at what's going on in China? Why will you openly condemn your government where you don't stand to lose a dime, but you won't condemn a foreign government where you stand to lose thousands, millions? See, there's a lot of criticism on the current government, the current administration. And one of the biggest is the situation on the southern border. Now, I'm not going to get into a debate regarding immigration policies between the U.S. and Mexico. I'm not opening up that can of worms. Regardless of your stance on immigration, there is some pretty terrible stuff going on at the border. And again, I'm not putting that all on this administration because I think it goes well beyond that. But I think we can all agree, no matter what your stance on immigration is, families shouldn't be separated and the living conditions down there are inhumane. And are people upset about that? Yes, as they rightfully should be. But if you're upset about people being detained in poor conditions at the border, but you're not about it happening in China, you're a fraud. You're a fraud. Be consistent and be a good human being. Not just when it's convenient. Not just when you have something to gain or to lose. I hate that it's 2019 and we are divided on this issue. Is what's happening in China good or bad? Even if the athletes who've commented that they don't know enough about the situation don't know, truly don't know enough about what's going on, that's bad. That's a bad thing. I don't buy it for a second, but if it's true, that's bad. If the NBA's goal is really to make the world a better place for everybody, it's time to stand up and use that platform. Are you going to put money ahead of human rights? Right now, it's looking like you are. We have heard nothing condemning China from anybody, whether they've been in China the last few days or they've been on U.S. soil this entire time. Popovich, Kerr, they said they didn't know enough about the situation in the first few days. Even if that were true, it's been a week and a half. You have had more than enough time to do your research, to do your homework. We've heard nothing about China from you. Instead, all you've done is attack your own government. Why is that? I'm not saying you can't attack the current administration. You can't use your platform to make your beliefs known. What I'm saying is, if you won't do the same thing to another country because you stand to lose thousands and millions of dollars, you're a fraud. Your interests are politically motivated. It's been 10 days. We have heard nothing from anybody condemning China. With that, let's get you out to Yankee Stadium. It's going to be a fun one. We'll join that in progress. I'm glad that you were along today. And let me get that off my chest. I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, I'm back on tomorrow, 4 Eastern, 3 Central, right here on ESPN-UP and online with our app. Signing off from ESPN-UP, WZM, Ishpeming Marquette, I'm Tanner Hoops. Thanks for listening to ESPN-UP.